Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. I'm going to be praying and reading the Bible now. And if you've noticed, there's not a lot of youth kids here or youth leaders is because they're away on youth camp. So I'm going to be focusing um, my prayer on the youth kids and the leaders out at the camp. So please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you for you are a big and awesome God. You are the creator who stands alone in power and in might. And as Psalm 90 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or um, you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to the dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Father, as we turn to you this morning, we pray that we would see and appreciate all you are and all you have done. We pray this particularly for our youth who have gone to our Southside Youth Camp this weekend. We pray that our teenagers would have a great weekend away, growing in their love for each other and their love for you. We pray that as they walk through the difficulties of life, that this foundation would help that it would comfort them and it would carry them. And we thank you for our leaders, for the heart that you have given them and the heart that they have for you and the time that they give up to serve you here at Southside. Lord, be with them um, as they are there and be with us as we are here and be with us that we would know how great you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Bible reading this morning is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, and it is on the screen behind me. It says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Awesome. Well, we're going to have a look at the whole chapter in chapter two, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3. But let's pray again and then we'll hook into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joy that we have to be here this morning. Lord, we pray that now, as we put um, our worries and our concerns aside, as we gather here this morning, we ask, Father, for your grace 
and we ask for your mercy and we pray that your spirit would be among us and we pray lord that we would understand what's going on in 2 peter chapter 3 and that this would affect us and change us in the rest of our lives and we pray this in jesus name amen so when i was 10 i thought the world was going to end you know when i woke up it was 2001 and you might have been alive and remember this we woke up to planes crashing into the Twin Towers in America. And it was one of those moments where you remember everything around it. Well, at least I did. I remember where I was when I woke up. I remember hearing it on the news. I remember my mum was crying. I remember it was on TV all day long. And I remember I thought that the next world war would start and my brothers would be shipped off to go and fight. On top of that, I remember that I went to a Christian school. And Christian schools are great, and ours was. But they're also a place full of people with lots of different ideas about God and, and the Bible and the end. And so this particular event triggered for us, for the next couple of years in, in this season of our life in church, conversations among our peers, among our grade, that this event triggered the end. Jesus would come back in the next two years. Now, Jesus didn't come back in the next two years. We know that now. But that chat hasn't stopped. In fact, anytime something big happens in the world, anytime some calendar lines up, predictions come thick and fast over the end. Which means right now, as we live in 2022 with pandemics and wars and floods and famines and heat waves and whatever else is going on in your life, chances are you might have heard the end is coming. Jesus is coming back soon and the end is near. Now, this morning, we want to spend a moment to think about this. So what we're going to do is step aside from the events going on around us and open up our Bibles and have a look at what God says about this. In fact, we're going to ask this question, how do we understand the end from the Bible? What does God say about this? And what does it mean for us as we live in this moment of, of kind of knowing the end or maybe the end? What does it mean for us living in this moment, thinking about the end? We're going to do that as we pick it up in 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles there, open them up, or it'll be on the screen behind us, and we see Peter, who's encouraging his church, go head on towards this issue. He says this in chapter 3, verse 1, picks it up and says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to record or recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command giving given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So how do we understand the end? Well, we see Peter go for it here. This is what he's addressing in this moment, and he's doing that because scoffers are coming into the church, or as we would call them today, haters. They're coming into the church, hating on the church, saying, where is the end? Where is Jesus? Where is this coming that he promised? Now, how is Peter going to go about this? Well, this is what we're going to explore, but there is a question before we go into this idea, and it's why is this an issue for them? Why is Jesus coming back an issue for the early church? I mean, this is only 30 years, roughly, after Jesus left. You know, where we sit, 2,000 years later, that doesn't feel like a long time. So why is this particular an issue, an issue for this church? 
Well, the context here helps us a little bit, and it's not just the context of where Peter writes, it's the context of what we've seen so far in the story of the Bible. So let's quickly go on our recap as we've been in this series. We saw week one, as we've been using this timeline, week one, God created the world. Week two, we saw that sin entered into the world as we, humanity, rebelled and rejected against God. Week three, we saw how God was gracious and he gave promises to Abraham, the patriarchs, but then we watched the cycle of sin in the Old Testament go over and over again, but God was pretty gracious to them. Week four, we saw Jesus rock up and we saw, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, that the whole Bible, the story of the Bible is about Jesus. It's the story about Jesus for people so that we can have life and forgiveness and freedom from sin and death. That was week four. Now, last week, we took a step aside from our series and reflected on that moment just after Jesus was raised and and went into heaven. And just in that little moment last week in Acts chapter one, Jesse went in on that. And we took a moment, a step aside from our series. And if you remember last week, there was this moment where the disciples were looking off into the clouds as Jesus rose and then ascended. And he's looking off into the clouds and the angel rocks up and says, why are you looking? Jesus will come back the same way he left. Okay, so, so that's what we've seen so far. Now, from that moment, we enter into our section on our timeline called the church. This is what we see from Acts 1 right through the rest of the New Testament. You could even describe what we are in today as the moment of the church. And so you get in Acts, the early church, you see what happens as the church begins to explode onto the scene, and then you get letters to churches encouraging them to follow Jesus. Now, you could also describe this section, the church, as the last days. Okay, that's what Peter does. He describes it as the last days. So the last days are from the moment Jesus ascends into heaven to the moment that Jesus returns. The whole section you could describe as the last days, because in some ways, you're waiting for Jesus to come back. Now, that's the context we find ourselves in. That's where we're up to in the story of the Bible. And you can see Peter rocks up and says, hey, guys are are coming in saying, where is this coming? Where is Jesus' return? Now, again, why is it an issue? Because it's only been 30 years, right? For us, 2,000 years, that doesn't seem like it's that long. But 30 years is a long time if it's full of suffering, right? 30 years of suffering and persecution, that's that's actually quite a long time to suffer. And for the early church, this was their life. If you followed Jesus, you pretty much knew you were signing up to death. Peter knew that he would die in a couple of years from the moment that he's writing. Death and suffering was a part of being a follower of Jesus in the early church. Not only that, but outside of the church, there was political unrest, Rome was a a pretty crazy superpower and tyrants would come and go and some would be worse than the previous ones. Then you would get everything else outside of that. You know, this is the ancient world with ancient medicine and ancient problems and death and sickness were just parts of life. If you were following Jesus, in the very beginning, it was hard. And so this is why this question begins to gain traction because if Jesus is going to come back and fix everything, If he's going to make everything new, right, wipe every tear from every eye, suffering, death, that's going to disappear. In that environment, you would kind of be going, hang on, yeah, why hasn't he come back? You know, if we're dying for our faith, doesn't God see this? Why doesn't he come back and fix this up? Now, Peter is going to address this, but you can't kind of help but think about it. For us today, the the question is still the same, and I think it gains traction for us as well. I mean, if you think about it for us in 2022, there is kind of this vibe around, why hasn't God returned yet? 
If he's going to fix everything, why doesn't he do that? Because we've, we've struggled lately, right? Like the last couple of years have been difficult. It has been pandemics and wars and floods and famine and fire and inflation and lots of different things going on in the world. But, but this is our world, right? We're living with the pandemic. You have to live with my coughs now. It's been hard for us in the last few years. And then you think about what's going on outside, right? So there's political unrest. You know, this has been going on. It, it seems like it's getting crazier and crazier around the world. You, you watch world superpowers in the last 20 years. It seems like it's shifting, and, and we don't know what that's going to look like. Life is difficult at the moment. And that's on top of just day-to-day -day suffering, death, sickness, all of the stuff that we go through. This question that the early church were going through, this question that they were asking, where is Jesus' return? I think we could ask that question as well. If God is going to make all things new, why hasn't he done it yet? Well, this is what Peter addresses. And this is where he goes as we pick it up in verse 8. Notice how he speaks to this. And he speaks about why Jesus hasn't come back yet. He says this in verse 8. But do, no, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Well, Peter says essentially he will, and the reason he hasn't is because he's being patient. That's what he's getting at here. And really, at the heart of it, he's saying God has not forgotten. God hasn't forgotten to come back. He is aware of this. You know, the people have forgotten. From verse 5 to 7, we saw the people forgot that when God says something, excuse me, we got it. We got it. When God says something, so verse 5 to 7, the scoffers forgot when God says something, it will happen. It will come to pass. So the scoffers forgot, but God hasn't forgotten. God will come back. Jesus will return. And the reason he hasn't isn't because he's forgotten. It's not because he's slow. Instead, it's because time works differently for God. That's what he's getting at here. You see that language where he uses this, this idea of, for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So essentially what Peter is doing here is he's borrowing language from Psalm 90, which Elizabeth read out in her prayer before. And Psalm 90 is all about this idea of the magnitude of God. So, so if you read Psalm 90, you see God is the creator and we are created. And time works differently for God. You know, that, that's the idea. God, you know, we understand time, but God is outside of time. Now, this is supposed to create in us awe and wonder. And, you know, we celebrate the bigness of God. But there's also a sense of this as kind of a question mark of how, how does this work? How is a day like a thousand years? Well, think about it like this. I think we do get this concept a little bit, um, particularly if you're someone who likes reading books, fiction books. Okay, I, don't, I don't really like reading fiction books. Um, it just, I don't know, it doesn't sit well with me. And I think part of the reason of that is because when I was growing up and, you know, you get into fiction for the first time, when I would get to the moment of the story where a bit of stress comes involved, you know, the tension of the story, I would just go to the end and see how it ends. And I'd flick forward, I'd find out how the story ends, and then I'd come back. And if I liked where it was going, well, I'd keep reading. And if I didn't, I would stop. And most of the time, I would stop. 
But now look, that might trigger you if you're someone who loves books. But I don't know if you knew this, if you're someone who's reading a book, you can do whatever you want. You're not limited to the time of the book. You're outside of that. Now look, it's not the same as us and God, but, but the idea is kind of there, right? So for us, created, we are written into the pages of time. So we have a beginning and we have an ending. And you were given your setting, you know, and the certain characteristics about you, you were given. And we are in the pages of time. We only understand time and we know that we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. But for God, He's not the same. He's not limited to the pages of time. He's outside of time. He's the creator. He's the author. And so time works differently to God. For God, yeah, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, what's the point of this for Peter? Well, the point is, he's saying to the church, God is not slow to act. You know, 30 years for this church felt like it was slow. For us, 2,000 years might feel like it's slow, but God is not being slow. So what is God doing? Well, he says it. And I, I want to highlight it because it's so important here. He says it in verse 9. Have a look there. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What Peter is saying here is God has not forgotten, and God is not slow, and God does not see everything, and, and he's like, he's not... He's not sitting there not sure what to do with the world. No, God is being patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, this is the reason God is putting up with the world. This is it right here. He, he's putting up with the evil and the suffering and the wickedness and the, the way that the world is right now because of his patience, wanting people to come to faith. Now, I do love God's patience. Haven't we seen it throughout this series, God's patience on display? It's just been one of those characteristics of God that's been so good. You know, you think about it from Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God was patient with them. You know, he didn't wipe the world out then. In the Old Testament, you get the cycle of sin and the kings continue to make mistakes and rebel against God and God's patience is just with them. When Jesus rocked up, he was so patient with people. Here again, we see God's patience. God's patience is such a beautiful quality of our God. And His patience is here because He wants people to come to know Him. You see, God has not forgotten. He is not slow. He will come back. In fact, it says there in verse 10, it says He will come like a thief in the night. And what do we know about thieves? They come when you're not expecting it. That's the point. You know, if you were expecting thieves, you would do something about it. But thieves come when you're not expecting it. Jesus will return. That's the point here. He will come back like a thief in the night when we're not expecting it. But the reason he hasn't is because he wants more people to come to faith. This is it. This is the heart of God on display. The reason the world exists, the reason you breathe your breath, the reason time goes on is because God wants people to come to faith. So he says this to his church. This is why Jesus hasn't come back. He encourages them with this fact. And he tells us the end of the story. He tells us how it's going to end. But the question is, for us then, how do we live while we wait? How do we live? So if we're living in this kind of now but not yet moment, the last days, how do we live knowing how the story ends but knowing we're not there yet? Well, this is where Peter goes in this passage. As he wraps up the second letter to his church, he gives them three things of, of, of how to live while they wait. And what we're going to see in this is faith, not fear. 
godliness, not worldliness, and then going deeper, not drifting away. So have a look at verse 11 as he picks up on these ideas. It says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt away in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. So if you've ever found Paul's writing hard to understand, Peter does as well. It's comforting. But then he says this, But the ignorant, which the ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So how do we live while we wait? How do we live while we wait? Knowing the end of the story, well, he gives us three things. The first here is faith, not fear. You know, the end times, often people do try and use this to scare us. You know, like this is my experience growing up. This is what I felt. People use this to scare us. And sometimes people even claim to be Christians and they still use it to scare us. You know, and if it's not people speaking about Jesus' return, trying to scare you, sometimes it's just movies that do that. You know, apocalyptic movies. They, they use us to try and fill us with fear. But, but when we see what Peter's saying here, He's saying the end shouldn't scare us, but rather fill us with faith as we go deeper, trusting in the one who's in control of the end. You see how he speaks about there? He says, regard God's patience as salvation. Essentially, what he's saying here is, if you know how the story ends, live in a way that grows you deeper in faith in Jesus, knowing how the story ends. Trust in the one who's in control of the end, the one who gives you safety and security on that day. You see, as we see how the story ends this morning, what we're seeing is that the most important thing anyone can do in all of their life is trust in the one who's in control of the end. Do you see that? The most important thing you can do in your whole life is make sure that on the final day, you're safe and secure in Jesus. The end isn't supposed to move us to fear, but to faith. Regard God's patience as salvation. So the first thing is we trust in him. We, we trust in the one who's in control of, of the end. The second thing, though, we do is we live in godliness, not worldliness. So you could define godliness like this. Godliness is to live like Jesus. And worldliness is to live selfishly, you know, living for our own desires. And, and essentially what Peter is saying here is, aware that Jesus is going to come back, live the way that he's called you to live. Okay, aware that he's going to come back. So it's kind of like this. In the last week, I had COVID and it was bad timing. So we went away on a staff trip and Elizabeth went and stayed with her parents, which was great. But then when we were away, we got COVID. And so when we came back, that meant I isolated at home for seven days by myself. Now, it was harder for Elizabeth than it was for me. I just have to say that out loud. But the thing is, I haven't lived by myself for a very long time, you know, without anyone else in, in my house. And 
when you live completely by yourself, you can do whatever you want. No one cares. And especially with COVID, you know no one's coming into your house for seven days. I had door knockers twice, and when I told them they ha- I had COVID, they moved away pretty quickly from my door. You know that, right? No one's coming in. So the first four days, I was living selfishly. I didn't clean a dish. I didn't pick up a, a, any one of my clothes. The floor was pretty dirty. It was out of hand. But as my isolation period went... I knew, so they were coming back on Thursday, so on Wednesday, knowing that they were coming back, I began to clean the house. Now, I didn't do that out of guilt, right? It wasn't guilt. Elizabeth didn't say to me, if the house isn't clean, I'm not coming back. She might have felt that way, but she didn't say that to me. I wasn't driven by guilt to do this, but out of love for her and Poppy to come back home. And so their awareness changed how I acted. Now, this is the idea here. This is the idea that Peter's saying. He's saying, live with an awareness that Jesus is coming back at any point. Right? So don't think, well, it's going to be in 20, 50 years, so it doesn't matter how I live now. No, live with an awareness that he's coming back at any point and change the way you live. In fact, he says it a few times. He says, live godly and holy lives. Well, verse 14 is the one that makes it, it brings it home because he says, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So the idea here is that if we're aware that Jesus could come back at any point, you know, this afternoon or this week, let that truth transform you so that you live a life where you're actually living the way that he called you to. So you're trusting in him, you're speaking like he spoke, you're encouraging the people around you, you have an urgency like he had in his life. We live like Jesus lived. Now right here, it is worth us reflecting on this deeply if we actually live with the awareness that Jesus is coming back. You know, I, I mean, do you, have you thought about this recently? Do you live with the awareness that he could come back this afternoon? And if you did, would it change anything? Now, I was confronted by this recently. Um, so as a, as a pastor at a church, often you get people emailing you about what your church believes. And sometimes they're looking for a church. And, you know, if you emailed me and you came along, well, that's great. But sometimes it's just people trying to correct you. And I had an email in the last few weeks from someone who was trying to tell me that Jesus was coming back in the next couple of years. No joke, this came in the last few weeks. And I responded to them with grace, I hope. And I said, I am encouraged by your passion and your zeal for your convictions, because at least he was, you know, he's going out of his way to email strangers I said, thank you for your passion and your zeal over your convictions. But I stand with Peter when Peter said, the day of the Lord will be like a thief. So we don't react to events by saying Jesus is going to come back. I said, instead, our conviction, my conviction as a pastor and our conviction as a church is that we live every day as if Jesus could come back. And then I hit send and thought, I'll never think about this again. And then I did. Because God convicted me about what I wrote to him. And I thought, hang on, do I actually live like that? You see, if this is our position, you know, of the Bible, if this is how we understand the Bible, that God will come back in a way that we don't expect, like a thief in the night. If we, if our conviction is that you can't determine dates or times, 
You know, in fact, that when people do, they're standing outside of the Bible. If that is our conviction, then we must actually live our life with the reality that he could come back in the next five minutes or the next five days or the next 500 years. But regardless of how long it is, it's not going to change anything for us because we're always living with that awareness. If this is our position, we must seriously think about this. We must be genuine to our own convictions. And so I want to ask this of you this morning. If Jesus was coming back on Thursday, would it change anything for you? Would it change anything for you this week? What about, like, if you think about sin? There's areas of your life, maybe, that you, you know that God has said, don't do this, but you're living in it. If Jesus was coming back on Thursday, does that change anything with how you think about your sin? What about like what you know God calls you to? You know, I, I feel like some of us, we know that God's been pressing in on our lives certain things and he's calling us to certain things. If Jesus was coming back this week, does it, does it change that? Does it give you an urgency? You know, some of us have been putting things off for a long time. Is there an urgency that's provoked in our hearts if we actually knew Jesus was coming back? You see, if this is our conviction, what Peter is saying here, if we believe what he's saying here, we must seriously ask this question of ourselves. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And he says, live in a, in a way that's responsive to that. Live a life that's godly, not worldly. So the first thing is faith, not fear. The second is godly, not worldly. And then the third one is we go deeper, not drifting away. So he says, since you're aware of the end... Be aware that there is a danger of drifting away. So he says this in that last bit there where he says, um, you've been forewarned. And then he says, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. And the idea of being carried away brings to my mind the idea of drifting. And I think the idea of drifting is good because it does speak to our experience. You know, if, if we know people that fall away, it often doesn't just happen in an instant, it happens over time. So think about it like this, you know, if you've ever been paddling or kayaking in a, a strong tide, you know the idea of drifting away, or maybe you've, you've gone swimming when there's a tide. So uh, I used to go fishing a bit, and um, I would go kayaking, and there was this stretch that uh, I would kayak in, at, up at Noosa, where the tide would rush through. And I, I timed it. I figured out how long. So it was about 200 meters, and it would take me 10, min 10 minutes to get from one end to the other against the tide, and it would take 45 seconds for the tide to push me back to where I started. That's how long the tide. If you got caught in that tide, it was game over very quickly. And so because I, I like fishing, but I hate kayaking, it was a real mental game for me to get back to where I put the kayak in. And so I had to tell myself, because if you've ever been there, you know every paddle, it doesn't feel like you're going anywhere when you're against the tide. You know, it actually doesn't. It feels like you're doing nothing. And so I would have to tell myself, listen, you just have to stick at this. Every paddle is helping you go in the right direction. And if you stop, which I did a few times, you'd stop and you'd have a drink and then all of a sudden you look up and you've drifted again. Every time you stop, you go backwards. And so for the next 30 minutes, you just have to paddle one after the next, even though it doesn't feel like you're going anywhere, knowing that every paddle gets you to where you want to go. Now, this is why this idea is helpful, I think, for us as we think about what Peter's getting at here, is because he's speaking about the danger of being carried away or the danger of being drifted away. 
You see, there is a reality that we live our lives in a world that pushes us away from Jesus. That is true. Like, we live in a world where the tide is strong and it pushes us away. And so, so Peter says, listen, I'm forewarning you. I'm telling you how to safeguard that. And so how do we safeguard that? How do we fight against that? How do we paddle? Well, essentially what he's saying is this, and he says in verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying here is, what helps you from being drifted away or from being pushed away is a depth in your relationship with God and your knowledge of Jesus. We could say it like this, it's our depth in the Word. Right? That's what we've seen. The whole story of the Bible is about Jesus. That's where knowledge about Jesus is found, not anywhere else. So it's our depth in the Word, and it's the depth in our relationship with Jesus as we experience His grace. So when we grow, this is what helps us safeguard from drifting away. Now, here at Southside, this is why we do what we do. This is why we preach from the Bible. This is why we sing songs that are rich in God's Word. This is why we encourage growth groups, and we have growth groups where you open up the Bible. This is why we serve, and when we serve, we encourage our leaders to read the Bible with their teams. This is why we teach the Bible to kids so they can understand what they're reading. And this is why our teenagers read the Bible in ways they can understand it. It's because every single time we open up the Word and we grow in our knowledge of the Bible and our knowledge of our relationship with God, it's like one paddle in the water in the right direction. But you see, this morning, what Peter's saying is he's not just encouraging churches. You see that this is a pastor encouraging his people. This isn't just an encouragement to churches. So yeah, we will at Southside keep opening the Bible. We will do that. But this encouragement is deeply personal. It's for each and every one of us to be forewarned that we can drift away. And we need to hear that because we are in danger of that. We, we need to be aware that all of us are in danger of drifting away. And really, we know people who have drifted away. I mean, we, we, many of us, if you've been around Christian circles for a while, you will know someone. It could be a family member or a friend or someone you served with. You know, I've had people who I served with and had my best ministry wins with. You know, who taught me so much about God and about myself. People, I've had, you know, the best time serving Jesus together. We laughed and we loved what we did. People who stopped serving and then stopped coming to church and then fell away. You know, as a, as a pastor, this is the worst bit of our job when you see this. It breaks our heart watching people because you, you know what matters and you know, what, you know how the story ends. And so when you see this, it, it's so heartbreaking. Now, this is what Peter's speaking about. This is, he's a pastor at the end of his life writing to his church, encouraging them about the dangers of drifting away. This is not just an encouragement as a church to keep opening the Bible. This is an encouragement to you. And so this morning, we, we want to just ask this question because there might be some of us among us uh, uh, here who feel like in the last little while we've drifted away. You know, maybe, maybe it's not panic stations yet. Maybe you're not 
super concerned about that, but you've begun to notice that at one point you were deeper, at one point you were closer to where you wanted to go, but you've drifted. You know, maybe, maybe you were consistent at church for a little while in your life. Maybe there was a moment where church was something you would never give up, but the season shifted. And you just couldn't keep doing it the way that you were doing it. And so you drifted. Maybe it was growth group. Maybe growth group was something you, you know, you had that experience at growth group a few years ago where it was just the best thing ever. But maybe someone said something. Or maybe your shifts changed at work or whatever it was. And all of a sudden, with good intentions, you decided to have a break from growth group and you never hooked back in. Or maybe it was serving, maybe serving. You know, you were in a team, maybe you were even a team leader and at one point the season just shifted where you just, you had good intentions to hook back in, but you didn't. Or maybe it was like your own personal Bible reading and prayer. You know, there was a time where you were thriving with God's word, but something happened and the pattern shifted and you meant to hook back in, but you just never got around to it. Now this morning... We're not trying to guilt you or shame you in this. No, if anything, we've been reflecting on the patience of God and the grace of God. You know, the reason we are here today is because God is inviting us back. And so this morning, the challenge isn't just for us as a church to keep opening the Bible. The challenge is personal. It's to you. If you've drifted away, God is inviting you to come back. And he's inviting you to go deeper. And he's inviting you out of grace and out of patience and lovingly. But there's also a reality to the importance of what we're talking about here this morning. Because Jesus could come back at any moment. You see that? It's grace, it's patience, but it's also seriousness. Because Jesus could come back at any time. Like a thief in the night when no one's expecting it. He hasn't forgotten. He's not slow to act. He will come back. That will happen. If God says something, it will happen. And so knowing how the story ends, Peter invites us to faith, not fear. He invites us to godliness, not worldliness. And he invites us to go deeper, especially if we've drifted away because of the dangers of falling from our secure position. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your patience that you give to your people. Thank you for your grace and your patience to us, Lord, as we gather here together today. Father, we pray wherever we are in our journey, wherever we are in our faith, we ask, Lord, that you would bring us deeper and that we would be driven by the reality that you're coming back soon. And the awareness of this fact would drive us out of love to go deeper in our faith, knowing what's on the line and knowing the importance of all that we've seen today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.